I'd like for you to turn to the book of Hebrews, and I'm reading, I'm teaching tonight from the first chapter, and we're going to begin in just a moment from verse 4, the subject of angels is an interesting and intriguing subject. But I imagine that if you were to to count all the times you've heard a talk about the subject of angels, you could count them all on one hand. We're ignorant of the subject of angels. About the only time we we think about them, you know, is at Christmas time, when we see some Christmas card or some Christmas pageant, and the angels announcing the birth of Christ are at Easter time, standing by the grave, the tomb. Uh, at Valentine's, you know, these little babies, naked babies, you know, with, with arrows. Uh, that's about what we know about angels. Angels are more of a decoration than a reality to us. Where would you find angels? Well, on ordination certificates or in Renaissance art, Farms. You'd find angels on the backs of, of uh, record albums or Bible, uh, on, on, on Bibles or in Bibles. Sometimes you'd find them on Christmas cards. They're more of a decoration than a reality. But if, you're, if you take the subject of angels seriously, then you probably lump what you know about angels into two categories. You know a little bit about guardian angels those angels that watch over and, 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 and guard and protect our children. Some of you are familiar with the name Eddie Rickenbacker. Colonel Eddie, Eddie Rickenbacker was a famous World War II hero and his plane was shot down over the Pacific. And he and his crew survived in a small life raft and drifted on the Pacific Ocean, lost for several days, months I believe. Many of them died. His crew died in that little life raft. Some of them survived. In his autobiography, Eddie Rickenbacker tells that one day these starving men were in their life raft praying and a seagull came and lighted on Eddie Rickenbacker's head. Very cautiously, he reached up and grabbed the seagull and he and his starving men ate that seagull uh, raw, Every bit of it, even the small bones, he said. And he said, I've never tasted a meal as delicious as that. And one day Billy Graham, understanding that Eddie Rickenbacker accepted Christ as the result of that experience, asked him about it and he said, I have no explanation for it except God sent one of His angels to rescue me. We know something about guardian angels and we know something about the death angel. It just kind of sends a chill up our spine to think that God tonight could dispatch the death angel to your residence, to your address. Peter Marshall in one of his books likes to tell the story about the servant who went for his master down to the marketplace to, 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 to trade one day in Baghdad. And there in the marketplace in the morning he saw the death angel, the angel of death, and he saw that angel of death gesture toward him. And he fled. He ran home and burst into his house as white as a sheet and said to his master, I have seen the death angel in the market and she gestured to me, give me your fastest steed. I must ride as quickly as I can to Samara. 
And so the master gave him his horse, and he fled to Samaria. That afternoon, the master went into the marketplace to finish the transaction. He too saw the angel of death and spoke to her and said, My servant saw you today and saw you gesture. Oh, said the angel of death, that wasn't a gesture. That was an exclamation of surprise. I was surprised to see him today in Baghdad, for I have an appointment with him tonight in Samaria. Somewhere in the Samaras of our life, we have an appointment with a death angel. Samuel Johnson is perhaps one of the most famous black religious poets, and he describes in the most graphic details what he understands about the angel of death. Listen to it. Weep not. Weep not, she's not dead. She's resting in the bosom of Jesus. Heartbroken husband, weep no more. Grief-stricken son, weep no more. Left lonesome daughter, weep no more. She's only just gone home. Day before yesterday morning, God was looking down from His great high throne, looking down on all His children. And His eye fell on Sister Caroline, tossing on her bed of pain, And God's great heart was touched with pity, with an everlasting pity. And God sat back on His throne and commanded that tall, bright angel standing at His right hand, Call me death. And that tall, bright angel cried in a voice that broke like a clap of thunder, Call death, call death. And the echo sounded down the streets of heaven till it reached away back to that shadowy place where death waits with his pale white horses. And death heard the summons, and he leaped on his fastest horse, pale as a sheet in the moonlight. And up the golden street death galloped on the hooves of his horse, and they struck fire from the gold, but they didn't make no sound. Up death rode to the great white throne and waited for God's command. And God said, Go down, death, go down. Go down to Savannah, Georgia. Go down to Yamcraw and find Sister Caroline. She's borne the burden, the heat of day. She's labored long in my vineyard, and she's tired, and she's weary. Go down, death, and bring her back to me. And death didn't say a word. He just loosed the reins on his pale white horse, and he clapped the, clamped the spurs to his bloodless sides, and out down and down they rode through heaven's pearly gates, passing suns and moons and stars on death road. And the foam from his horse was like a comet in the sky on death road, leaving the lightning's flash behind. Straight on he came. While we were watching round her bed, she turned her eyes and looked away. She saw what she couldn't see. She saw old death. She saw old death coming like a fallen star. But death didn't frighten Sister Caroline. He looked to her like a welcome friend, and she whispered to us, I'm going home, and she smiled and closed her eyes, and death took her like a baby. She lay in his icy arms, but she didn't feel no chill, and death began to ride again, up beyond the evening star, out beyond the morning star, into the glittering light of glory, on to the great white white throne, and there he laid Sister Caroline on the loving breast of Jesus. Wow. We know something about guardian angels. And we know something about the death angel. That's about all we know. But the book of the Bible is the most reliable and complete book about angels we have. But as intriguing as the subject of angels is, 
the subject of angels is not the subject of Hebrews. The subject of Hebrews is, is Jesus, is Christ, and the superiority of Christ. And he's writing this book to men and women who are clinging by their fingernails, hanging on to that bridge over troubled waters. And some are giving out, and some are giving in. And so the author is writing to them to tell them to hang on because Christ is superior. The subject of Hebrews is that Christ is superior. We've already seen that he has established that Christ is superior to prophets in verses 1 through 4. And he's come to say that Christ is superior to angels in verses 4 through 14. Now the subject of angels was nothing new to the Jews. They cut their teeth on the teaching of the, of the theology of angels. They had Moses and the prophets and, and the Psalms, which are replete with references to the matters of angels. And so the author right away makes two references to them. In verse 7, he calls them his, winds and, his wind and flame of fire. Perhaps he called them the wind because he is making reference to how swiftly they move to assist. And he calls them his flame of fire, perhaps in reference to the fact of their power, like some uncontrollable prairie fire. These angels are powerful and swift. But in verse 14, he calls them ministering spirits. Now that word ministering there, minister, is not the usual Greek word for minister. The usual Greek word for minister is the word diakonos. It's the, we, we transliterate the word to, say, to, to get the word deacon from because deacons are ministers. Diakonos was a term that meant ministry from man to man. Um, but this word is, is, the, is a word, the root word being liturgy or liturgical. It means from heaven to earth so that these angels are God's ministers that minister from heaven to earth. They're, they're ministering in the arena of the earth and they're controlled from heaven just as the deacon's role is to minister in the local church. Angels were to minister in the arena of the earth ministering angels. They're sent out or dispatched to minister uh, on the earth. In my reading about angels this week, I came across a, an interesting story. It appeared, first of all, in Reader's Digest, and one of their uh, issues is the account of a physician, a famous neurosurgeon, neurologist in Philadelphia. He came home one night and he was bone-tired and he was about to go to sleep when he heard this knock on his door, and he went to the door, and there stood a little girl. It was a cold, snowy night, and she was standing there, shabbily dressed in a tattered coat, standing in the cold. And she told this physician that her mother was extremely ill, was dying. Could he come and help? And, and so he was impressed by her entreaty, and so he dressed, and they went out into the cold night to this little uh, shanty, this little house in the ghetto. And there he found this mother sick unto death and ministered to her. And as he cared for her that night, he, 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 he remarked of how persistent her little girl was, insisting that he come. She looked at him quite confused and said, Why, Sir, 
My daughter's been dead for months. He said, her coat is hanging there in the closet. And he went curiously to the closet, and there he found this coat dry, and, 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 and it's apparent it had not been out in the snowy night. Lewis Schaefer, for years, was the professor of theology at Dallas Theological Seminary, not given to sensationalism. And he tells a story that one night a, a, a missionary was traveling through the state of Louisiana on a speaking engagement. He'd been up for days and nights. He was bone tired, and he feared that he'd go to sleep at the wheel, but he had to drive through the night for the next morning's speaking engagement. So he just prayed, Lord, would you just, if I just had somebody who would, would, be, would ride with me and help keep me awake, just talk to me. And just about then, at the fork in the road up, a, up ahead, he saw a hitchhiker. And so he pulled over and gave the man a ride, and they talked. The man was a Christian, and they had a wonderful conversation as they drove through the night, and as they neared where the, the hitchhiker was to, was to get off, to get out and, 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 and head another direction. He said, well, let's pull into this diner and get a cup of coffee. And they sat there and drank their coffee, and he got in the car and went on. The hitchhiker went his way. As he drove about a mile, he thought, you know, I didn't even get his name, didn't even uh, tell him thank you. I must go back and do that. So he went back, couldn't find him, went into the di diner, asked the waitress, did you see where that man that was with me a while ago, did you see which direction he went? And the waitress said, what man? I saw only you here, and I wondered why you ordered two cups of coffee. As in interesting and intriguing as the matter of angels is, some of us listen to those stories, I'm sure, with a little skepticism. I can see the smiles on your face. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, let's get on to the subject. There are four reasons why God, Jesus, why Christ is superior to angels. Now, understand that, that the author of the book of Hebrews is writing to folks who are prone to the worship of angels, to worship them. And so he's writing this book to say to them, Christ is superior to angels. All right, first one, verses 4 and 5. Christ is superior to angels because he has an excellent name above their name. He's called the Son. Read it with me. For to which of the angels did he ever... Did he ever say, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee? And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. They have a more excellent name. He has a more excellent name than angels. He is called son. C.S. Lewis said, When we make what we make with our hands is always different from what we beget with our bodies. For what we beget with our bodies is dearest is the dearest thing to us because it is a part of us. Now, a person might sculpt a beautiful masterpiece of her child, and she might appreciate it because it is the work of her hands, but is a thousand miles from her feeling toward the child she brought out of her own body into the world. When he said, Thou art my son, he was saying, He is my soul delight. To which angel did God ever say that? By the way, parenthetically, this one verse strikes a death nail to the teaching of Jehovah's Witness that teach that Jesus is just an angel and liken him to Michael the archangel. 
Christ is superior to angels in the second place in verse 6. In the acts and the experiences of worship, you worship one who is superior to you. It has never been said that the Son of God ever worshipped anything. It has been said that the angels worship Him. Well, you see, the, you know what's paramount in heaven? It is the worship of the Son. With your New Testament, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 5 with me. Now, sometime when you um, need a little shot in the arm in your devotional life, you just turn to Revelation chapter 5 and begin reading at verse 11. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures... and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's a heavenly scene. And what is going on in heaven is the worship of the Son and myriads and myriads of angels are there worshiping Him. Uh, Bunyan said, if, if Jesus Christ is not God, then heaven will be filled with idolaters because everybody there is going to be worshiping Him. Angels hold their wings in adoration and they cover themselves in the worship of the Son. He is superior to angels in the acts and experiences of worship. Third, He is superior to angels in His character. Now put on your thinking cap and begin reading with me in verse, verse 7. And of the angels, He says, Who makes His angels winds and His ministers a flame of fire? But of the Son, he says, Thy throne, O God, is forever. Now notice this. God calls Jesus God. There'll be somebody knock at your door if you live long enough, and they'll talk to you about this cult that they're uh, propagating or teaching, cult teaching. You ask them, do you believe that, that Jesus is the Son of God, they'll say, yes, sir, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. What they mean is they believe Jesus is a son like your son is a son to you, but not equal with God. Whenever they say that, you turn to this passage, a reference to Psalm uh, 45, and you say to them, look at here, God calls Jesus God. God the Father and God the Son. But of the Son, he says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of His kingdom. Whatever, whatever, what angel ever had a throne or a kingdom? Thou hast loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy companions. Who are these companions? They're these angels with Jesus. He has anointed him with the oil of gladness above them. And again he said, Thou, Lord, in the beginning didst lay the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. He, he created this universe. If you're interested in uh, taking a little journey about through... Uh, through what it means to go through uh, 
space, listen to this one. You know how fast, can you imagine how fast the speed of light is? Let me see if I can give you an illustration of it. If you stood on this earth and you had, on this spot, you had a, a gun that could fire a bullet at the speed of light and it could go around the earth unhindered. You fired that gun, that bullet traveled at the speed of, of, of light. It would pass going around the earth, back through, it would pass through your body seven times before you could move. The nearest star in our galaxy is four and a half light years away, traveling at that speed. It would take you four and a half light years to reach the nearest star, which is a part of the Milky Way galaxy. And if you traveled across the Milky Way, it would take you a thousand light years to go from one end of it to the other. And the author of the book of Hebrews said that Jesus created this universe. What angel ever made one atom of matter? And if that's interesting, look at verse 11. He said, that They will perish, but thou remainest, and they all will become old as a garment, and as a mantle thou wilt roll them up as a garment. They will also be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years will never come to an end. The scientists refer to the second law of thermodynamics. By the way, the evolutionists have to deny the second law of thermodynamics to, 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 so that their theories will hold water. The second law of thermodynamics is that there is a degenerative faculty in the universe, that everything is wearing down, that there is not an ascendancy but a descendancy, that the, this universe and everything in it is wearing out. I'm a supreme example of it. Wearing out. But Jesus remains the same. He never changes. He is eternal. And there's a difference between eternal and everlasting. To be eternal means that He, he has no beginning or no end. And He never changes. What angels, what could be, what angel could that be said of? One last superiority of Jesus, verses 13 and 14. His position and purpose. But to which of the angels has He ever said, Sit at My right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet? Somebody said, somebody asked, Where's all this coming to? That's not good English. But all of it's coming to the feet of Jesus. Where is this universe headed? It's headed to Him. And one day everything in creation, everything in this created world winds up at His feet, winds up as His footstool. And they not all, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? You and I have something on angels. We have redemption. We are the object of His redeeming activity. There's an old song we used to sing, about as old as that first one. I loved it. We sang tonight. We don't sing it anymore. I don't guess it's even in the hymnal. You can maybe remember it. Holy, 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 I hear the angels sing, and I expect to help them make the courts of heaven ring. 
But when I sing redemption's story, the angels fold their wings, for angels never felt the joy my salvation brings. Now this is what Paul in Colossians 1 is talking about when he said that all things have been created by Him and for Him. That means you and everything in this universe and it all comes out from His divine creative activity and everything in this universe is moving toward Him. And the goal of history is the fate of our Lord. Now there are three principles I want you to get and I'm through. Five minutes, we'll do it. Number one, God's angelic servants impress and intrigue us, but only God's Word enlightens us. God's angelic servants impress and intrigue us, but only God's Word enlightens us. Second principle. God's angelic servants minister to us by the way, I, I, I just imagine that if somehow that veil were lifted and we could see the angelic activity in this world, it would blow our mind. You ever thought about that? Probably haven't. If, we, if that veil were lifted and we could see the angelic activity, it would blow our mind. God's angelic servants minister to us but God's Spirit ministers in us and through us. Third principle. God's angelic servants protect us physically. Only God's Son can save us spiritually. Angels protect us physically. But only God's Son can save us spiritually. Let's pray together. Our Father, when we get into stuff like this, we've heard so seldom preached. We really just find ourselves caught up in the mind-boggling confusion of it. And yet we understand the whole truth of this passage, that Jesus Christ is superior. He is preeminent. He is Lord. And we know the emphasis of the Scripture, and that is that Jesus Christ is the One. God of very God, man of very man, the one who deserves our worship and our adoration and our commitment, our deepest devotion. And I pray that we'll submit in absolute submission to His authority, who is Lord of all, to worship Him by making Him first in everything we do. For I pray in the name which is above every name, the name of Jesus. Now we have three invitations that we offer in this place. One is an invitation to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And it may be that you've 
been baptized or you've joined a church, but you've never encountered Jesus in a saving encounter, you'd like to come and trust Jesus and Jesus alone to save you. Or to come tonight and to join the church. That's the second invitation. Come and join the church because you feel God leading you to do that. Or to come and rededication over your life because you feel that you just need to draw nearer to God in a public repentance, public way. We'll sing two stanzas of our invitation, and then we're through. Let's come while we stand.